Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. We just want to thank all of you for being here. We, we thank some of the guests that are here, and we welcome them, and we honor that, and and we pray that you're blessed today in worship and in the word. So we just thank you guys for coming. Um, if you're taking out, if you have your notes, go ahead and take it out. We're gonna we're gonna really just um continue where we left off last week, and maybe you didn't hear last week's message. I want to give you an opportunity to hear that, and uh, we've made that available for you to you, and you could do that uh, through the podcast. Just search Nest Church, and you know that you could also do that through YouTube where you also just have to search uh, Nest Church, and there you could listen to last week's message. Um, what we did was we started a new series here at church, and we're calling it More Than a Letter, and it's based off the letter of Peter from First and Second Peter. And today we're going to just start off in verse 13. Last week we jumped in verses 1 through 12, and hopefully today we'll be able to finish chapter 1 as we know it. And, uh, and then next week, in the weeks to come, we'll jump into chapter 2. But this letter has, as I spent, um, before we got into it, as I spent time just reading it um, and stuff like that, personally, it truly um, spoke to me. It's impacted me like the whole word does. And I, and I believe that that's what the series is doing and is going to do um, in our lives. Amen? So we're going to jump into 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Let's get started. And if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down at the top. If you, wanna, if you need a title, if you're one of those people like, I can't write my first note unless you give me a title first. It's titled Holy Inheritance. Holy Inheritance. Last week, we stopped at verse 12, as I said, in the first chapter of 1 Peter. And as we pick this off um, in verse 13, I want you to remember um, what, what we're doing and where we're at. I don't want to necessarily repeat everything that I said last week, but remember that we were introduced to this as it was written by Peter, and it was written by Peter to a group of Christians in Asia Minor. And this is an area in which today we know as Turkey. And this is where these believers uh, were at, and they were persecuted. They have actually, during this time that they received this letter from Peter, they had endured uh, various trials very difficult trials um, for them, for the believers that are in uh, this region. So what I love about this is as Peter writes this, I want to ask you this question. When you read Peter's letter, how do you envision Peter in your mind? Have you thought about that? Because a lot of times whenever I read about Peter or I read Peter's letter, I think of that young Peter that always stuck his foot in his mouth, that young Peter that the Lord had to say, rebuke me, um, rebuke you, Satan, for you do not know what you're saying. That young Peter that the Lord was always correcting. It's that young Peter that was very zealous for the things of God, was very passionate, wanted to please God. But many times in wanting to please God, he saw himself putting himself, getting himself in trouble. And the Lord always had to correct his heart. Okay, how many of you see Peter like that whenever you read from, from Peter? That's how I always read it. But when you read First and Second Peter, and as we will in, in, I guess, months to come, you're going to see that, wait a minute, how come this doesn't sound like that Peter? How come this doesn't look like that Peter? You have to remember that First and Second Peter is written much later in his life. I mean, Peter is probably 80-something years old by now. So what do you think Peter's gone through in life? Through experience, right? Life trials and difficulties. Peter has gone through ups and downs. He's learned lessons in life. So when he writes to the church, I want you to remember last week, just the way he starts it off. He says, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. As he writes to the church, we already see his leadership. We see as he's, as he's coming before them, he's coming to them as an apostle. And we see his maturity. We see his growth. We see a leader, an apostle through this letter to the church in Turkey. So here is Peter now at an older age, or we could say at his old age. And he's more, more experienced. He's wiser. Hopefully by the time you're 80, you're much wiser than you are right now. Hopefully you're wiser today than you were five years ago. In Christ, hopefully you're growing in wisdom. Amen? And here's Peter much wiser, and he writes from a place of authority. 
And as you, as you read this letter, you see the authority behind Peter, but you also see that it's seasoned or it's covered with grace. As a man that knows well what these followers of Christ are enduring, when Peter writes about trials and persecutions, Trust me, he has authority to write about these things because Peter himself has had to endure many trials and many persecutions. So he's not saying something to them that he himself has not, cannot relate to. He says, if anyone should speak to you about this, trust me, I can relate. So when they receive this letter, they receive this letter from someone that what? That has gone through it, that is held in high esteem and that is respected by the church. Do you get me? And that's who Peter was at this time, a man who knows what they were going through. So he writes and he encourages them. Specifically, he aims at something in their lives and it's in their suffering. He aims and encourages them in their suffering. And what he encourages them is to keep your hope. And I love that Rudy came up here and, and he he says, I don't know where that just came from. It just came out of me. And I said, well, praise God, because that's exactly what Rudy opened up the service with today. It's exactly what Peter is doing. Keep your hope. Keep your hope in that, in heaven, in your heavenly hope, in your heavenly inheritance. And we learned that last week in chapter 1. And that's what Peter is doing. How many of you have gone through many trials on this earth and the one thing that has kept you together is your hope in heaven? It's your hope in Christ. And that's the, that is where Peter's coming from. And all of us, hopefully, we, to some degree, understand that in our lives. Where we just feel like giving up or when things are just so difficult, we say, no, there is hope. Amen. And as we enter verse 13 here, Peter, as we know, it's not just Peter, as Scripture teaches us, right? The Holy Spirit in him. Peter gives no space to the reader. No space to the recipient of his letter. He gives them no space to ignore that there is still a responsibility for them here on earth. I know that your eyes are fixed on heaven, but don't, ever, don't forget that you have a responsibility on earth. On this side of your heavenly inheritance, you have things to do. I'm here to tell you the way Peter told the church in the Turkey, in today's Turkey area, I'm telling you today, you still have things to do here because you're still present on this earth. You still have things to do. So as your eyes are on your heavenly hope, don't look past your current responsibility. Don't look past your obedience that is needed for today that you have before you right now. There is still obedience to be lived out here on this earth. Let's go to verse 13. Amen. So we go ahead and he says this in verse 13 and Peter's going to continue throughout this letter to remind them in what we ended off last week in the future inheritance. And you're going to see as we go through this, it's going to be a theme that he goes back to because he wants to remind them. I know I said this earlier, but I'm going to say it again. He's repeating heaven. He's repeating heaven's inheritance. So here we go, verse 13. He says this. I'll read from the NLT and at times add different translations as well. He says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Mm, that's, that's good for today's day. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. I want you to see what Peter is saying here and what he is speaking to the church here. Prepare your minds. I like this translation where it says to what? Gird up. Gird up the loins of your mind. How many of you are reading from that translation? Like the New King James or the ESV will say that. Gird up the loins of your mind. I like that. Gird up the loins of your mind. New Living will say something like, prepare your minds. Well, what am I girding up the loins of my mind for? He goes on to say, like, for this responsibility, for this obedience, for this action. And, and part of this is exercising self-control. Putting all this hope in your salvation. We know who our salvation is already. It's not necessarily an, an act. It's a person. So we don't put our hope in the act of salvation. We put our hope in the person of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. 
And that's what he's saying here. So, so who will come to you and there, there's the salvation, there's the revelation, right? Which is Jesus Christ when he's revealed to the world. So as he continues to strengthen them and encourage them about their future, we see here that there's an expectancy. I love this scripture in this verse that, that is in the believer's heart. What are they to expect? He says, put your hope, put your rest in the gracious salvation that's going to come to you. So, so I, I read that and I say, well, amen, because I do and we do. We have a hope and we have a rest and our hope is Jesus and he will come. Yes, he will come. And at the moment where he comes, he comes to what? To save us forever. It's not to save us for a moment, but it's to save us forever. You are saved right now forever, but there is a moment where the lion will come and salvation over this land will be forever. It's a salvation forever. When we are in his kingdom, it is a salvation forever. We learned that last week. But as we keep our minds on this forever hope and salvation, I say this, but, but prepare your mind though. Prepare it for action. Exercise self-control. Everyone say self-control. That, that, that phrase there, that word there, if you look it up, it means be sober. Be sober. And it has no, you're probably like, oh, psh, I haven't drank in years. Or psh, I gave up drinking or I've never drank before. This has less to do with drinking than what you know. Okay? It's not just sober in, in, in alcohol. It's self-control. It's be sober. And this is aiming specifically towards sin. Be sober towards sin. And that's what Peter is doing. So now he's not like, I'm not picking at these things, <laughs> like our brother says, non-essential and all these different things. I am picking at things that what? That strip you or that remove you from the holiness of God. So I'm aiming you towards holiness. Stay sober. Man, stay sober. Prepare yourself. Gird up the loins of your mind and stay sober towards Sin. I love that. Prepare yourself and gird up the loins of your mind. What an introduction to today's message this is. What a starting verse this is. Prepare yourself. Gird up the loins of your mind. The author of Hebrews gives us a very important picture to think of here. And we'll put it up. It's Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. And the author of Hebrews says this. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses. Now we could sit here and say, okay, that means the witnesses on earth that are looking at you. Or we could say the witnesses of the heavenly realms that are looking at you. We know that angels look at you and your salvation and are wowed by it. So you have witnesses in heaven that are looking at you and cheering you on. Pause and just think about that for a moment. So when a temptation comes and you overcome the temptation, there's, an, there's maybe angels that are around you and they're giving an applause and a roar to, to the glory of the Lord and you don't even know it. There are witnesses, in, and I believe that it's in both the physical and in the spiritual realm. He says, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, so what do we do then? Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Or translation, New King James may say, or the sin that ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. You could break down this verse for the sake of time. We want to jump back to 1 Peter, but you could really preach a few messages just on this verse. So there is this cl cloud or crowd of witnesses, and they're looking at our faith. And, and, and in this reason, we strip off the weight that slows us down. What is the author saying? There are things that we put on or that we pick up in our lives that as we're running this marathon of life, it slows us down from getting to the finish line. So what is the author saying? You're not just walking in this. You are running a race. And your ultimate end is to what? To cross the finish line. And if you keep 
if you keep on picking up things that are heavy, things that are going to burden you, things that are weighty, it's going to what? It's going to affect you from crossing the finish line. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. So he says what? Strip it off. Don't even think about it anymore. Stop carrying it. If there's a bag of weight on you that should no longer be on you, take it off. It's worth the cost. Strip off every weight. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. It. Why should I strip it off? It feels good. I've had it for years. This is what I do on my time off. This is who I've always been. This is what I've always ran to. Well, the author of Hebrews says, strip it off because what it's doing is it's slowing you down. And the Lord wants to what? Propel you. The Lord wants to what? Consume you. The Lord wants to do what? He wants to do a work in your life. But it's hard for what the Holy Spirit wants to do because you're carrying stuff that is slowing you down. Amen. And then he says, especially the sin in those bags. The sin that trips you. The sin that ensnares you. Or we could say that the sin that traps you. Ever been trapped by sin? We have any honest people here? All right, cool. Just been trapped. I'll just walk, and you just, and it has you. And you're consumed by your sin. You've ever experienced sin like that? Oh, I'll just dabble. I'm drowning. I'll stick my toe. It's over my head. What did that sin do? Ensnared you, trapped you. You open up the door, it kicks in, and there's a flood that enters. So what does the writer say? Don't get there. Strip it off before that ever happens. Strip it off. Strip it off. Why? Because you're running with endurance the race that God has set before you. How many of you could say amen? Everyone say, gird up my loins. Gird up your loins. Prepare your mind. Gird up your loins. You're running a race. Back in the days, they used to wear those long robes. I don't know what they're like, called like, legitly, but for me, they look like robes. With a little belt on it. You try to run with that. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to trip. You're going to fall. Because if I were to really ask you to be honest up here, every single one of you has tripped and has fallen by the things in your life that have what ensnared you, by the things that have tripped you up. You've hit your face on some of those things. Peter knows that. Peter says, how much longer are you going to continue to trip in this race that you're called to run? If you keep tripping, you're never going to start running. So what I need you to do is gird up your loins. What do I mean by gird up your loins? I know you're all wearing robes at church today. So this is what I would want you to do whenever they wanted to walk a little bit faster. Remember, back then they didn't jump into their cars with, with motors and get on and take off to the next village. Back then they had to walk a lot. If they had sort of money, they had some sort of animal that they could ride its back. But the reality is a lot of people were walking for miles. Jesus walked for miles and miles in his life. So what would they have to do if they had a specific time to get somewhere? They had to gird up their loins. They had to lift up their robe, pick it up a little bit, get their belt, tie it. So now their long robe is now above the knees and they could actually now walk faster and run faster and speed up the pace to where they're going. When Peter says this, the audience knows exactly what he's talking about. Oh, you want me to lift this up and you want me to tie it so that what? So that in this walk, in this race that I'm in, I won't trip. And Peter says, ding, 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 you got it. Gird up your loins. Basically do whatever it takes to stay, what? Focused. Amen? I've picked up running lately in my life, and I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I hated it my whole life. I'm, about, I'm 39 years old, and now I'm loving it. And I'm addicted to it, and I'm addicted to the feeling after it. And it's crazy, and it's insane. But I'm recognizing something very important. I'm, I'm recognizing like I, I have to be prepared and I have to be ready because the last thing I want is to go on a run and what and get tripped up. So I need to stay focused. I need to look straight. 
When I'm running, I can't be looking to the side. I can't look back. I can't be entertained. When I'm running, I always have to look forward. Why? Because I have to see what are the things that are going to be presented before me. Too many believers are walking around trying to go forward, but they're constantly looking back or to the side. And what that's done is it's what brought forth a habit or consistency of what? Of believers falling and falling and falling and not getting to the place of maturity where they need to get, where they stay focused, where they keep their minds on Christ so that they don't necessarily are getting tripped up at all times, caught up or ensnared by sin. Oh, I just wish the devil would stop tempting me. Well, stop running to where he's tempting you at. Gird up your loins and prepare your mind. And that's what Peter is saying, to be sober, have sound what? Judgment, mentally and spiritually. Be sound. Be sound. Control yourself. Control yourself. Control your eyes. Control your mouth. Control your actions and your reactions. Control yourself. When you lose control, you're going to get tripped up. And guess what happens when you get tripped up? There are many witnesses that are watching you again getting tripped up. And they're like, there they go again. Gird up your loins. Amen? Let's run this race. Thank you, Peter, for reminding me that, of that. Let's keep reading because that was just first verse. Verse 14 says, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways. Hallelujah. Of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Verse 15. But now you must be, everyone say it nice and loud, but now you must be, mm, now you must be holy, Peter says. Right. Well, I'm going to be holy when I come to church on Sunday. I'm going to dress right. I'm going to speak right. I'm going to do right. I'm going to put worship music on the way to church on Sunday. No, he says, be holy in all that you do, in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy, for the scripture says you must be holy. Why should I be holy? Because I am holy, he says. 14, 15, and 16, what do you get from Peter's writing? This is what I get. Do not conform yourself to what? I like this word. We could, all, we could all learn from this word or we could all agree to this word, right? Do not conform yourself to what? To the patterns. How many of you have to change patterns in your life? Why? Because you've recognized that the current pattern you've been on hasn't brought forth the result that was needed. So what did you do? You changed the patterns of your life. You changed the patterns of your life. And that's where it starts. You know to change the patterns of your life, it's going to start for you taking action, right? You know that, right? But where does it start before you ever start taking action? It's got to start in your minds. That's why Peter says prepare your minds. Why? Because you need to change the patterns of your life, but you'll never take action to change the patterns of your life if you haven't set your mind to do it yet. How many of you know that there's things to do, but you still continue to talk about those things that you know that you've been called to do, but what? You haven't acted on it because it comes down to this one thing. You haven't set your mind yet to do it. You haven't prepared your mind yet. So the patterns of your life need to change. I said I want to start running, so guess what? I had to just put on my shoes, and whether I liked it or not, I had to, what, open the front door of my house and just take off. And while I'm doing it, I'm like, oh, thank God I did it because I'm feeling great. But to get to that place, oh, I had to change the pattern of my mind because the pattern of my mind would normally say, what, ah, I should just take a bath and go to bed and go to sleep already. Well, it's already, it's too late. All those different things. So in my own personal life, physically and spiritually, I need to, what, take uh, uh, action and it starts in my mind to change these patterns and this is what Peter is saying don't conform yourself to patterns that what that used to control you and necessarily they weren't getting you anywhere man don't conform to those things don't desire those things is that not what Romans 12 uh, chapter 12 verse 2 tells us do not be conformed to this world remember that verse this world means, this world, the, 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 the word there, conform, conform, do not be conformed to this world, it means to another pattern or even to the same pattern. 
Some of us are conformed to the same pattern of lifestyle. Some of us go back to an old pattern that actually brought harm to us. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be what? If you're going to be anything in Christ, this is what you're going to be. You're not going to be a conformer to the things of this world. You're going to be a transformer, but you are going to be transformed by the what? Here it is again. He's picking on us by the renewal of your mind. Because to get you to take actions in the way that you're called to take them, it's going to start where? In the patterns of your mind. So don't conform your mind to the things of this world, but be transformed. And it's going to start by renewing your mind. How many of us could say amen? Because we all need a mind change. I need a mind change. I need a pattern change. And it's got to start right here. And this is something to think about. And they were to think about this rather than someone that they were to be, rather than something that they were to be, what Peter is telling them is, no, this is who, this is basically someone that you are to become. This is not, oh, um, let me think about being holy. Let me think about being transformed. And Peter is like, no, this is who you are to become. No questions asked. Be holy. Be set apart. Be separate. Where you live dedicated to God and separated totally to the sin of this world, from the sin of this world. And what we see is that this is God's heart. And this is God's purpose for all of us. What is God's heart and God's purpose for you? It is so that your life would be set apart for his cause. It's not that you would be like the world and also love him. It's not like that. It's not that you would live like the world and also, it's not like that. His heart for you is that you would be set apart and holy, that you would be separate. And he tells Moses to tell this to the children of Israel. You think God's heart has changed in the New Testament? He's not because scripture tells us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what does that mean? What he told Moses in Leviticus, he tells the church in 1 Peter. I love it. Well, what does he tell Moses in Leviticus? In chapter 18, verse 2, 3, and 4, he says, speak to the people of Israel. And this is what I want you to say to them, Mo. I think God called them Mo because they got so cool like that. He's like, Mo. He says, I am the Lord your God. And look what he says next. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt. What what do you get there? Tell the children of Israel not to pattern their lives like Egyptians. You see that? Where you lived and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes, in their teachings. You shall follow my rules and my statutes and walk in them. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. When you read Leviticus chapter 18, he's talking about patterns of life. God is showing it to Moses. Hey, don't worry, Mo. I'm going to talk about this to a man named Peter one day. Your brother Peter. You'll meet him. I'm going to tell him the same thing. Follow, basically, he's telling them. Tell them to follow the pattern that I have for them. Follow, he's telling you, the church. Follow the pattern that I have for you. What? If you're going to conform to anything, conform to me. To me is what the Lord is saying. I started to think about um, verses 14 through 16, Leviticus chapter 18. And, and, you know, have you ever seen these people that want to continue in the patterns of their former lives while yet still being a Christian? We all kind of know someone like that or we've been there or we're there right now where we're someone that, hey, I want to continue in these patterns of my lifestyle, but, you know, I'm still a Christian. I still do good things. I, I still check things off my list. I still give. I still go. I still serve. I still, but, but we continue to do the patterns of this world, and all of us could probably relate to this in some way or another. And what happens to a lot of these people, if that's us right now or we've been there or people that are doing this, is they justify. And one of the things that they say is, oh, my walk is just different. What do you mean your walk is just different? Since when is your walk different? What do you mean it's different? My walk is just different. I just do it different. We do it different. This is how we, you know, it's just different. And that's what these kind of people do. What it is is there's no desire for them to become more in the Lord, more radical, more extreme, like we've, we know Instead, they'll justify, and they're like, well, I'm just different. Because the reason why they don't go all in is because they know very well that it's going to take them stripping away some things in their lives. And if you've ever had anything stripped away from your life, some things 
that you get stripped from are actually things that, what, you really enjoy. How many of you have had to, man, we're just very honest here. How many of you have had to strip things off, like you prayed for a long time for God to strip it away from you, but the reality, God's like, I'm not going to strip it. You need to strip the things away from your life. And God is calling you to strip things away from your life, and yet those things that you're called to strip, you actually enjoy a lot doing them. And God's like, strip it. Take it off. But Lord, I'm praying that you would do this for me. He's like, not happening. You're going to do this for yourself. You're going to start changing. You're going to start making the decisions. Strip it off. Ever been there with the Lord? You prayed for the Lord three times, Lord, take this away from me. And the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. <laughs> Paul's gone through this. Well, Peter's writing. He's like, strip it. You put it on. You take it off. Some things that you enjoy doing, I get it but I'm not pleased with it. Strip it off. Amen. I hope you're learning something today. You look at verses 14 through 16, Leviticus, it has nothing to do with being called religious because that's what it is. A lot of these people, oh, they're just religious. They're just on the religious sect. And the reality is this has nothing to do being called religious or not. This is, as Peter writes in verse 16, quoted even in Leviticus, to go back to Leviticus chapter 11:44, when God establishes the law, this is what Peter is saying, be holy because I am holy. God told it to Moses, to the children of Israel, God is saying it to me, Peter, as I tell it to the church in Asia Minor, be holy because God is holy. It's such a powerful scripture. Oh, Peter, you are so religious. No, it is called holiness. Religion and holiness are two different things. Do you get what I'm saying? All right, maybe we could do a whole series on religion versus holiness one day. And I get it. We read this, and it's the Old Testament law. You might say, well, that's the Old Testament, Pastor. You know, you're, you're quoting the Old Testament. And I, and I understand because it happens to us as non-Jews or non-Jewish Christians, right? We tend to look down at the law a lot, and we pay no attention to it. I'm going to kind of say something with, to you real quick, but it is of great importance. I'm telling you right now that all of Leviticus is very important, and Leviticus chapter 11 is extremely important. Yes, it is in Leviticus, but I want you to know that though it is in Leviticus, God just so happened to give it to us again, where? Here in Peter's writing. If God is repeating himself from Leviticus chapter 11 to 1 Peter chapter 1, do you think that God is trying to make a point? I do. I think it's important to God. Jesus didn't come in the New Testament. We're learning this. We're seeing this in Peter's writing. Please know this. Wherever you heard otherwise, listen, Jesus did not come to destroy the law. Are you guys understanding that? Jesus came to fulfill the law. If we destroy the law, there's danger in saying destroying the law. Let me tell you why there's danger in saying destroying the law. So being holy, if it is not destroyed, right, this whole be holy is not destroyed by Christ, okay? If it's it, being holy is not destroyed by Christ, this, this false law thing that he's calling us about being holy, what happens is if he didn't come to fulfill holiness, then it's giving us reason to sin that grace may abound. And Paul has to um, go ahead and talk about this. Hey, wait a minute. Christ didn't just come to destroy law, but to fulfill it. So because he fulfilled the law and he fulfilled the law of holiness, now it's this, really? Holiness is fulfilled in Christ, giving us reason to live in grace so that sin may not abound. I'm going to repeat those two questions again. Ready? Holiness is not destroyed because Christ never destroyed the law, meaning it does not give us reason to sin so that grace may abound. That's what religion might do. Holiness instead... It is fulfilled in Christ. So now it gives us reason to live in grace so that sin now may not abound. So let's let God, let's let Christ fulfill what? Holiness in who? In me, in you. Let the holiness of God be fulfilled in Christ who lives in you. How many of you could say amen? That's what Peter is saying to the church. And I think that in this year, what a beautiful message to hear for our lives. If I'm called to do anything, active on anything, as everyone is sharing their voice about all kinds of stuff, there's one thing that I'm called to do to really focus my life on the holiness of God if I'm going to do anything throughout this year. We're all going to stand before God. This whole world will stand before God. Presidents, prince, kings, everyone will stand before God. Noble people, everyone will stand before God. Verse 17, let's read it. It says, and remember that the heavenly father 
Remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. How many of you like that verse? He will judge or reward you according to what you do. You must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as what? Temporary residence. I love this. Our heavenly father is our what? He's our heavenly father, but scripture says he's also your earthly judge. I love that our heavenly father is also the earthly judge and we will never be able to escape judgment. How many of you, when we say judgment, you automatically think that judgment is a negative thing? For a believer, judgment is a great thing and a positive thing. Don't always look at judgment as something bad. There's good judgment as well. So we know this in scripture. I'm going to fly through some scripture. Romans 2.6, it says what? He will render to each one according to his works. Romans 2.16, it says, On that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Or we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may what? Receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Judgment. We all have to stand before God. We all know that principle in our life. We all know that foundation, right? We're all going to stand before God one day. Judgment. And then he says to live it out in reverential fear, in fear. That word in fear, it's reverential awe. It's having reverence. It's remembering that God is our merciful Savior, yet while being our holy judge. So why do I fear? Why this reverence? Let's keep reading verses 18, 19, and 20. Everyone say, fear God. Yeah, that's called reverence. That's called holiness. It doesn't mean you're shaking in your shoes because, oh my God, he's going to strike me dead. That's not the love of God and the fear of God. Fear of God is totally different. Look at verse 18, 19, and 20. Why fear him? Verse 18, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which loses their value. It was the precious blood of Christ. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. How many of you can say amen? Verses 18 and 19 and 20. Why fear? Why reverence? Because what we're seeing through Peter's writing is that man can try to gain salvation by their own efforts or by their own earthly means. But scripture says that it's not gold nor silver nor anything from your ancestors. All of that loses its value. What's the answer? Why do you live in the fear of God? Because it was through the precious blood of the lamb, the ultimate sacrificial lamb that was given for your sake. And because of that, you live with fear and trembling before the presence of the Lord. Look at verse 18. It says, it says for you know that God paid a ransom to save from you from the empty life that you inherited. From your family, from your ancestors, from your parents, your parents, parents, parents. It was not paid with gold or silver, which loses its value. Think about things in your life what have you inherited from your family what have you inherited from your ancestors and you say things like well you know it's just been part of my family forever well this is just the way my family is well this is the way I, my mom is or this is the way my dad is so I'm gonna be like you've inherited things maybe from your ancestors and you notice that the old ways of doing things thinking about things or living in things has what has always left you empty the things of this world is what Peter is saying will leave you empty. It's not bought with gold or silver or with what your family can give you or what their family has taught you, the old ways of living. What, what Peter is saying, it's, it's through the Lamb of God. It is through Christ. This holiness is achieved. This lifestyle transformation happens. Man, this living in fear occurs when it's spot on on the Lamb of God. On the blood that was shed for the church, for you and I. Think about what the Lord is calling you to, to inherit. Seriously, what are you called to inherit that you have not inherited yet? Think about that for a moment. What am I called to inherit? I'm going to read to you because I think Peter gives us some of the answers to this question. Everyone, please put your eyes on verse 21. And if you want, for the sake of your own fun, underline, circle. I think it's that. I think it's this. I think it's that. We're going to look at things that God is calling us to inherit. Here we go. Verse 21. 
Through Jesus Christ, you've come to trust in God. Do you see anything there to inherit? And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and he gave him great glory. Verse 22, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. You saw that? Love each other deeply with all your heart. How hard is that for us? To really love each other. I don't want to love you. You don't want to love me. And Peter's like, no. You do whatever you do to love each other deeply. (laughs) Okay, Peter. With all of your heart. For you've been born again. Not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever. Because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Come on, we're going to end here in, in about five minutes, not even less. How many of you could say amen to that? Come on, what is he calling you to inherit? Did you catch it? I made, a, I made like a, a, a little list here. Ready? From what I read, maybe you caught something else. Verses 21 through 23 shows me that now I can trust again. And specifically, and most importantly, Peter says I can trust in God. How many of you have lost the ability to trust again? How many of you have lost the ability to trust? But in him, he's given you the ability to trust again. And most importantly, to trust him. That's an inheritance, to be able to trust God. Also, we can have faith and hope. How many of you have lost faith in your life? Have lost hope, and now you can inherit faith and hope? cleansed from sin, Peter says. Think about the things you can inherit. He also says we can love. He talks about brothers and sisters. We could be in family and learn and inherit family. You know how many people have come to this church at times and said, wow, I I, I don't have a family, but because I've been here now, people within this church have taken the role as family in my life. That's a beautiful place to be. And what does the enemy do? The number one thing that the enemy wants to do is to come and cause problems within the church. To what? To destroy the picture of family in the church. Because family is important. Be family. Love, brothers and sisters. He ought us, does Peter say, you're born again. I think that's point five or six. And then the last one, there is joy. There's joy in the immortal. What does he say? Your life will last forever. How many of you could grab those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven things and say, those are seven great things to inherit in my life? To trust, to have faith and hope, to be cleansed, to love, to be family, to be born again, and to have joy that my life will last forever. All I could tell you, church, is this inherit holiness. Because we learned last week that everything fades. Everything withers, but what? But his word and what is promised in it will remain forever. As we close here, to end this chapter, what is Peter doing? Peter quotes in this last verse, verse 24 and 25. Please listen to this. Peter quotes Isaiah chapter 40. Do you see how the New Testament is filled with the Old Testament? There is no New Testament if there is no Old Testament. The Old Testament had to usher in this New Testament. His word is forever. And Peter says this. Let me just read to you what Peter says or writes to the church. He says this, ready? Verse 24, scripture says this, he tells the church. People are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I was at the gym at the Lago, and an artist was playing. And I looked at, I forgot who it was, and I said, whatever happened to him? It was like a one-hit wonder kind of thing. Isn't that true about people? One day they're, at, they're on the pedestal, They're in the height of life, and the next day, they're just not here. 
there was a lot of hype and a lot of talk about DMX's passing. For those that know about DMX, he was an old, those that don't know, he was a, a hip hop um, icon, I guess. And he passed away at an early age, 50 years old. And that rocked, you know, like when Kobe Bryant died, it rocked the world a bit. And it's a reminder that we people fade and wither. And Peter is reminding us that, the Holy Spirit is reminding us that. And Peter quotes Isaiah because Peter, being a Jew, knows Isaiah 40 very well. And he writes it to the church. He says, I could relate to this scripture and I want to share it with you. And he quotes Isaiah 40. And what does Isaiah 46, 7, and 8 say? A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? And here is what Isaiah says. All flesh is grass and all of its beauty is like the flower of the field, the glass the grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Beautiful. And I hope you see the contrast as we close here. The contrast is that the things of this world are what? Temporary. I'm looking at my son grow and I'm looking at my daughter grow. I don't know about you parents, but I hate it. I look at my son grow up and I'm like, stop. I look at my daughter and I'm like, stop. Stop. But I'm recognizing that I too am getting old. I'm recognizing it through every day. Yesterday, I woke up to a phone call and one of my uncles passes and it was my mom's uncle, my godfather. And, and I had to go visit my mom and my mom was a mess. And I said, let's go, mom, let's go to Key West. And I went, flew to Key West with her yesterday. I see my, my godfather and here's another one of my family members. Another one. And I'm noticing that we come and we go come and we go the Lord just blows and people are like grass but what this word is speaking on the stuff that we are established in and rooted in the stuff that we believe in this stuff lasts forever we're not messing around we're not playing games we're not making people just feel well and feel good this is the truth this stuff lasts forever I hope you see the contrast here because I see it in my very own life that things are temporary in this world, even people. I've learned that people are temporary. I've learned that riches are temporary. We said last week that even good moments, bad moments, all these moments are all temporary. Today you're stressed out about something. Tomorrow it might not be there anymore. It was temporary. Today you're putting all your chips on one good thing and tomorrow might be taken away. It's temporary. You see what's important in life? In God, He's doing what? Not a temporary thing. Not something that fades and withers. The promise of 1 Peter is in God, He's doing something permanent. He's doing an eternal work, a permanent work in every single one of you. I really hope you could be encouraged with that. I love how this section ends. It ends like this. And that is the word of the good news that is preached to you. Period. I love how Peter ends it. The word of God is so beautiful. Or by the good news, this was what was preached to you. By the gospel. This is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. And he puts period. I will gather my thoughts next week. He says, <laughs> Amen. Can you stand with me today? <clears throat> Can you examine where you're at right now? Can you examine your heart, your life? Lord, I truly thank you for the letter of 1 Peter that we're reading today. Lord, I'm so grateful for chapter 1 and the work that it's doing in our lives. I just thank you for these last few verses that we just read. For the reminder that this text, 
for what it teaches us, Lord. Lord, this word is, is filled with so much truth in the midst of so much lies that my ear hears all day. It's so important that I'm in this truth because I'm constantly hearing lies. So I need truth to fend off the lies. I need clarity to fend off the confusion. I need the assurance. I need that which is forever to fend off the things that decay, that wither, that are temporary. And I thank you, Lord God, because the work that you're doing in all of us is you're calling us into a holy inheritance. And I pray that we will live, that we will live under such an inheritance, that we would receive it, that we would be recipients, that we would enter into this holiness that you have fulfilled, that we would be the holiness of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that we would be a testimony to the realms, the earthly realms and the spiritual realms. And that our lives as we learned last year would be a marvel, a marvel for the glory of God and unto the glory of God. Lord, thank you for this word and its truth. We love you, Lord. Deal with us. Right there where you're at, just spend a moment praying to the Lord. What do you need to offer up? What do you need to pray? What do you need to strip away? Come on, only you and God know. What do you need to give to the Lord? Can you spend a moment right now just doing that before your God? Go ahead, spend a moment right there where you're at. thank you for your goodness and for your faithfulness for never leaving us for never forsaking us for your word always being present and truthful before us let it be rooted deep let us be rooted deep in it thank you for the work that you're doing in all of our lives a reminder where this holiness and this that you are driving us and working in us is not temporary but it's an eternal work that you're doing in all of us and we're just filled with thanksgiving and we're filled with hope in just those promises today. Come on, we love you, Lord. Thank you.